Welcome to the podcast. This is Fergus in Chicago. Today we talk with Ben Shaw. Uh, ben is head of strategy at BBH in London. And today we talk about the Audi brand. And um, BBH has had this business since the early 1980s and has got a great story. What we talk about today is really the five or six year period from roughly sort of 2014 to 20. Uh, to 2018 or 19. It talks about the evolution of the brand and the need to evolve the brand. And many of the exercises that Ben talks about, I thought were great. And they kind of centered around the idea of understanding uh, modern luxury and modern premium. And the fact that um, the definition had shifted and therefore the brand needed to sort of discover what that shift was. I think one of the commercials that we refer to in in this conversation is worth checking out on YouTube. It's for a Kenzo, K-E-N-Z-O, Kenzo Fragrance. And it's a spot that came out maybe two or three years ago. I think it was roughly then. And it was really memorable because it, it was a reflection or a statement of the shift in luxury from more of a, uh, a highly idealized aspirational lifestyle to being more sort of touchable aspiration. The idea uh, in the spot is that this, uh, this girl who appears to be in her 20s, she is in a very formal setting in a hotel and then goes out into the hallways and dances through the entire hotel to this amazing uh, track. And that sort of, sort of signified uh, in, in, uh, in luxury that playfulness was coming into luxury. And Ben talks a lot about that and how that informed the way they thought about the evolution of, uh, of Audi. So I hope you enjoy it. Ben's a, a terrific guy. And you're gonna, one, of, one other thing I'll point out before we get started is that as part of this recording, we also talk about Ben's uh, point of view of how, of how Audi thinks about the BMW driver and the Mercedes driver. And I love to do those exercises because it really gives us a sense for how the brand uh, in any category, it needs to not only express itself, but how that expression lives in a competitive set. And it's just fun to hear the way he talks about that. I hope you enjoy it. This is Audi. Uh, and as Ben says, the positioning for Audi being beautiful cars with amazing brains. Enjoy. So welcome, Ben Shaw. We're really happy to have you here on the podcast. Hi, Fergus. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let's talk about the state of the Audi brand. I mean, and what I really like about this case is that uh, um, it not only is it a, a great example of how to evolve a brand over time, but it also rang true with me because I remember working on Mazda and we were waiting for a vehicle model to come out. And that vehicle model was really demonstrative of new features and new technology. But we had like a two-year gap, much like you mm. talk about here, where we had to figure out a way of what do we do while we're waiting for that new brand with the new features to come out, which was going to be a reflection of the, the brand that we wanted to achieve ideally or ultimately. Uh, but I think you guys did a phenomenal job here of sort of, of, of creating a narrative that allowed you to get across a period of time, in this case, r- roughly four to five years. Uh, so I'd love you to tell the story about where you started off in um, post uh, financial crisis and, and then through to 
the evolution. Just talk about maybe the business challenges and the brand challenges that you faced going going through that period of time. Sure. So um, it was um, our time with Audi has been, you know, broadly incredibly successful. Um, in it, the, such an amazing story of it coming into the UK. The you know the big headline figure we talk about it being from going from selling seventeen thousand cars to seventeen million cars. Um, along the way, that's I think, the, and that's a true statistic. Yes, yes. In the UK or globally? In the UK. Wow, for for Audi, amazing. Yeah. Um, what is um, what is key to that has been uh, something uh, has been a BVH mantra, which is moving it on without moving it off, um, and that has been the constant push for Audi. Has been a constant evolution of the brand and the brand idea and then how it's expressed. Um, and that is definitely, it's come to the fore in, in our most recent case study, which was pulling together. Let me stop you there. I apologize for this, but I, but I think we, we glanced over something which is really important, which is moving it on without moving it off. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that actually means? And that came from BBH, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So famous um, Nigel Bogle quote, and that is, uh, you know, it's in the power of, it's talking about the power of big ideas and you know everything that we see going on in um in the marketing world today obviously everybody is well aware about the perils of short-termism um of not really investing in you know let alone the concept of a brand idea really just the concept of a brand and what are the things you want to communicate nearly all of the best um brand stories out there obviously that exist outside of Kingley Street um, as well, have been built off having a brilliantly uh, flexible brand idea that allows you to evolve as times change, as products mixes change, talk to different audiences in different markets um, and allow you to, to, to move it on um, without losing some of those core attributes. This, this most recent phase um, was coming out of post-financial crisis where we'd so this is around um uh 2014 2015 where the market had started to slow um it had been slowing for the last few years um in the uk we um were not hitting um our price targets so lagging behind on average price against um, mercedes and bmw um and the brand itself had started to uh, become a bit staid, and so brand desire was our key metric that we'd ident- that we've identified uh, as got a direct link to sales. So pushing brand desire and that association with Audi um, is our key thing. Is was dipping and distinctiveness um, was going down, um, and so that to to us had been it had been a great period of growth with some clear challenges in the UK market that meant that we had to really address what we were doing in terms of. Um, how to push the brand forward, how to move it on without moving it off, and where the commercial focus needed to be in terms of model mix and what we're communicating as well. And, and so my understanding is the, the, uh, the larger volume pre, pre-crisis was, coming from, uh, was not coming from the premium nameplates. And so you think that was in part what, what led to the brand being less appealing to those more premium buyers. Yes, and that's you know it's been it's 
it's arguably it's the eternal struggle with um, exactly, with a pre- yeah. with a premium brand with probably with the exception of Apple seem to be the only people with an iPhone that managed to that managed to, to to properly do it. When we look at performance marketing recently, and we look at uh, what Les Bennett and others are talking about, I mean, you guys openly discussed the fact that I think it was as far back as 2013 that 89 percent of your media spend was on product issues, 11 percent on brand. And that part of this was correcting that mix, not not simply in in terms of creative execution, but also in media spend. Completely, and that's where you know it'd been it it'd been a um, an enemy of its own success was it felt like the brand job had been done, and so then to sell more cars meant we just had to do more product advertising, and if anything that if anybody takes anything from this case study it is about the need for investment in brand. And the key thing I think that we're so proud of from the, um, from the IPA paper is proving the effectiveness of that, um, that it is it can deliver a return, that you can do halo comms around brand and it can sell product. Obviously, it's with the right mix and it's alongside lots of other conversion, um, conversion comms, but it, you need to try and get that uh, get that brand sorted in people's heads and continue to invest in it. You guys came to a point where you needed to obviously move forward. And um, one of the things that you noted was, and I'd love you to take us inside these meetings and these discussions, which is the uh, discussions that led to the term progressive premium. Tell us about how you got to that as sort of a new lens through which you wanted to communicate the brand and, and what it means. So, there's splitting it out. I think it starts with looking at what premium means today um, or premium meant when we started this um, five years ago and how that had moved on, um, which was a step on from the previous world that we'd created, which had been a, uh, a bit more clinical, a bit more focused on technology and the pure metal of the cars. Um, it was a world that we'd originally called the world of white. Um, but so looking at what premium means. So that's, that's the, the premium part of it. And the progressive part is the mindset, which is really, you know, arguably really simply is the journey goes, I want to buy a premium car, which brands interest me. And the reason why people would be picking Audi is because they're thinking a little bit differently. They are fo- more focused on the future, less about current status. They're more focused on, um, thinking differently and they're interested in technology um, and that progressiveness and that progressive feeling to us um, obviously then with a lovely bit of alliteration uh, comes together as progressive premium um, but became the thing that just got repeated everywhere you know that was the audience that was the feeling that we wanted to get across um, does this piece of direct marketing do that does the feel when you go into the Audi um, dealerships do that does the does the script do that? Um, and it became a really, uh, a real center ground for us, for us to rally around for creative dev. One of the things that, that it's pretty clear you guys did was sort of look at the current state of luxury, the current state of premium and how it's being reflected in culture and how it's being reflected in design. And, and you, you um, uh, I'd love to hear how you went through that discovery process to understand how to interpret modern premium. Can you tell us about um, how you benchmark some of that and how you kind of discovered the old versus new expressions of that? 
Yeah, so we um, we did the obvious things to kick it off, which was looking directly at competitors. Um, and I think that was wildly uninspiring. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we then obviously extended out that we want to be a brand that is the equivalent of um, any other lifestyle brand of our audience. And so then started looking at some of the other uh, luxury brands, some of the premium brands that exist in the world, looking looking towards the best. So whether that is going a bit more fashion, um, or looking at perfume brands, um, or looking at high end designers, um, all the way from uh, from food to travel. Um, and I think the big changes that we had seen was a whole new wave of playfulness and creativity and excitement. Um, so much so that the world that we that we then created, we called the world of excitement. Um, we've just seen a a humanizing of quite an austere and luxury world um, that felt like an amazing creative opportunity. And so that was done. You know, it wasn't um, there wasn't any magic source to that. That was strategists sitting down and getting our heads together and doing the desk research going out and um, analyzing brands, looking at uh, who we can go and talk to and, I, and really, really pick apart the work, um, the products and the comms that was coming out of these different spaces and make sure it we were touching every part of culture. Why do you think that a, a level of playfulness came into sort of... Um, into the luxury of the premium segment, where, it, as, you said, as you said, it was more austere before. Where do you think that came from? And where did you notice it most? Um, we noticed, well, where it came from so much was um, some new leadership in some of the largest luxury uh, and uh, most high-end fashion houses. Um, a uh, Equally really, really interesting to see them enter into new forms of storytelling. So as they moved out of single photo shoots and got a lot more into film, they were able to express themselves in lots of new and different ways. Um, they're also up against, so many of these brands were up against um, so much more competition as you look at the global rise of the middle class across all the markets um, more and more people could afford to to get into these categories, um, and that meant that there was a greater need for creativity, a greater need for um, distinctiveness, um, and all of that meant, you know, alongside more choice than ever for for consumers, and that's where it was finally felt like um, luxury brands were becoming more accessible, and therefore they had a greater need to stand out. Yeah, I remember the. I remember being struck by the fragrance brand that had the actress that, that was dancing through the the empty hotel. Uh, for the Kenzo ad. Yeah, 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 and I, I remember being struck by that. That it was such a departure from what you would expect to be uh, uh, fragrance marketing, which tended to be mysterious at all, but not playful. And that was a wonderful, wonderfully playful spot. Yeah, that's a you know that's that's always been one of our hero references. I think um, of being able to point to something which is so surprising, um, yet at the same time uh, felt really on brand um, mm -hmm. and uh, captured everyone's attention. 
And it's that break, you know, when, when we talk about it being a BVH, we talk about it being a zag against everyone else is the, the playfulness that came into that, into uh, the unexpected is something that we've used so often as a reference for nearly all of the categories we work with as this is how far you could push it and where the creative ambition needs to be. So after that exercise, was playfulness sort of the key characteristic that you felt you needed to attribute to the brand moving forward or or was it more than that? And and how did you start to apply it? I think so. We talked about it being around more creativity, more playfulness and more excitement. I think playfulness came through as um, as a tone and it became how we wanted the cars um, to feature. So we moved um, away from the cars just being objects that we were observing and admiring to cars being characters. Um, and so a, yeah, there's a key, um, a key thing to note in nearly all of our work is that there aren't any people in any of the ads. So we're not reflect directly reflecting, um, uh, a lifestyle. We're trying to really, really embody, feelings and and desire into the cars themselves is there a deliberate masculinity to audi it's really interesting that actually because it's one of the big things we've been talking about um most recently is um it's a really interesting split in terms of who buys the cars um and as the brand has evolved has it has it become a bit more feminine and can we make it more feminine um i think the nature of the models that we've used have naturally meant the brand has felt a bit more masculine. And that's as much because we have used the R8, um, which is the the high-end sports car um, within the work. And so it naturally feels a bit more masculine, but that isn't, it was never an an intentional um, play. It's been much more about how can we try and tell the best story? Right. So, so, so in, in the planning team, are there, are there women on the team or in the creative team or is it, is it a guy dominated uh, team? Uh, well, no. So I'm in our, in our strategy team at the moment, we've got four strategists, including me. Um, and I'm the only bloke. You know, one of the things that I'd love to talk about, uh, cause I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to hear about is, is how, how somebody working on a brand looks at the other brands that they compete against. So I'd love to spend a couple of minutes talking about, first of all, who do you think the uh, Audi target is? And I'm thinking more in terms of attitudes and behaviors than, than straight demographics. Uh, and, and then I'd love to hear your perspective of how you think about that in the context of who you feel a Mercedes buyer might be um, and, or, or who a BMW buyer might be. Sure. So... I think there's the obvious thing to to start with, which is there's huge crossover between them. I think then the the key difference for us is against um, our direct competition is the interpretation of status that comes with premiumness Um, is there is a not only a a product benefit reason why people are buying into the premium category. There is obviously a brand and personal reason why uh, they're buying into the category category because people want to communicate to other people that they can afford a certain status of a car and a car says so much about you um and for us that interpretation of status is around um around 
progressiveness in the UK in particular, um, which I think is one of the key differences when you look at the brand in the UK versus the US, is around um, discernment. And so uh, in the UK, the brand is a bit more refined, a bit more arguably, a bit more stiff British upper lip um, and not... um, doesn't show off as much, isn't as flashy as someone would be if they're buying into a Merc, um, isn't as self-confident as someone who's uh, who wants to buy a BMW. This is someone who wants to communicate that they have made an, an intelligent choice, um, that if you really look into the technology, if you really look into the engineering, then Audi is the best choice between these. And it's the nod and the wink with other Audi owners that, We've, we've made the right decision. Um, and it's that form of status that is the key differentiator for us. Tell us a little more about the uh, the contrast between BMW and Audi. Uh, you said uh, more of a self-confidence in, in BMW. Mm. Tell us a little bit more about that as a contrast with Audi. So in the UK, um, definitely in the last 20 years, there is the BMW driver who... Um, I think the cultural stereotype is they they drive like an idiot. They're probably quite young. They are very flashy, um, and they've probably got too much money to throw at things. And they are very concerned about the size and status of their car. Um, and the difference, I think, therefore, with Audi is. It's someone who could afford a BMW and has actively chosen not to buy one. And that's exactly what one of our most famous ads in, um, in the 80s was, uh, which did feature someone, but it wasn't an Audi driver. It featured uh, someone who we were intimating was a BMW driver and refused the Audi um, in the narrative. Um, and and that's, that's a big shift for us, I think, is that it is as much about what you're not buying into as, as what you are. So one of the things I noted from earlier when you said that um, drawing contrasts again between um, between one brand and the other, one attitude versus the other, I'd love to hear a little more about a future versus current status. What did you mean by that? Right from the very start, Audi has been focused on tomorrow instead of today. It's been focused on how can we push cars and transport and the future of mobility and arguably the future of everyone in what we do in our everyday forward um how that manifests itself today you know they've got one of the largest this year they're introducing one of the largest ranges of um electric vehicles um and down to you know they've got uh, one of the amazing things that's coming out on um, the e-tron sportback is headlights with that are capable of projecting 1.5 million pixels um so it's always been a focus on what can tomorrow bring and how far can we push engineering um, versus just finding out what's best for today? Um, and that is something that we think translates down from um, the factories in Ingolstadt to the type of person that wants to buy into the brand because they're interested in the future. They're interested in better, not just what's best. And how do you think about Tesla? Between picking Tesla and picking Audi is we think you're competing for a quite a similar audience, but an Audi, you'd be picking an Audi because it's an Audi. Um, it isn't just a piece of flashy tech, which has been put on for 
for rubber wheels. It's got everything that you know that's been built into the brand um, for the last hundred years and is a proper car with amazing technology at the heart of it. And I think that's so much of when we go into this next phase of electric vehicles and this whole new age for the automotive category is we're really going to see um, the death of some brands. I'm, I'm certain of that. But equally, people are buying buying into the second largest purchase after buying a house and they want um, reassurance that it's going to work, that it is going to um, be serviced properly going forward and it's going to really deliver on, on the experience that they're buying into. And that's what has been at the heart of Audi's heritage for, for so long. So you went through this process of trying to understand the, um, the, the modern premium and came out with the, uh, with the, with the term progressive premium as sort of a, a, uh, a statement of the modern brand. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. So let's then talk about how did you, how would you now, or how would, how did you then um, define the positioning for the brand moving forward? What kind of words were you using to define the Audi positioning? The one key thing strategically we were really looking for um, desire. And so we talked so much in creative reviews about, is this really pushing desire? But ultimately um, it came down to a statement from, from the client actually, which was uh, beautiful cars with amazing brains um, was the key thing. Nice. Um, and that needed to be, you know, what does that, what does that mean? And what does that, that look like in storytelling? Let's make sure cars are front and center. So let's not hide away from the metal. They need to be the characters. Um, and we need to tell delightful stories of, uh, of the Audi technology and what goes into them being an Audi. I remember when I first saw the clowns spot, the one thing for me was I was sort of, I, I, was, I was aware that you were looking for premium, more of a premium target. And, and then I was kind of thinking, how is clown reflective of premium? But now when I think about it through the lens of playfulness and, and charm, it works perfectly, right? Yeah, I think it's also, um, if you really dissect that ad, is how Audi plays out through that. Um, obviously, the narrative is so focused on the other. But when you follow the Audi cars that are featured through that and the Audi tech, is they do almost follow some of the more natural or expected forms of premium, which is they are um, they're shot beautifully. They are fantastic demonstrations, um, product demonstrations, and they feel confident and have got a swagger to them. In a world of ridic- you know, completely ridiculous playfulness, um, that you wouldn't associate in any way with, with any sort of premium or luxury um, piece of comms. If you boil, what, what are we trying to communicate that down to is please tell people about the safety features on Audi cars, which is probably one of the more boring briefs that we get, <laughs> yeah. get through. You know, it, it's not launch this amazing new sports car or this incredible piece of performance tech or tell an amazing heritage story. Um, equally... I think the, the other amazing thing that's really good about clowns is um, those safety features aren't novel. They are, you know, they are somewhat expected. Um, it's definitely now that we've moved on a couple of years, but they are the, the, the exact same features that you'll find in non-premium cars as well. Um, and so managing to communicate that in a differentiated and distinctive way is, is the creative challenge. So Ben Shaw, uh, Head of Strategy, BBH London. What a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for coming on.
Thank you, mate. It was great. And we'll see everybody in the next episode.